Welcome to States and Migration in Europe, a podcast that delves into the interplay between Europe's history and the movement of people. My name is Emmanuel Comte. I'm a historian with expertise in contemporary Europe and human migration. Make sure to visit my website where you will discover a wealth of resources, including my online courses. In today's episode, I have the honor of hosting an esteemed guest, Professor Maurizio Ambrosini, who specializes in the sociology of migration at the University of Milan. Professor Ambrosini will help us navigate the intricate landscape of irregular migration in Europe, examining the unique challenges faced by migrants and the critical roles played by immigration policies and researchers in addressing these multifaceted issues. This discussion is part of an ongoing series within the States and Migration in Europe podcast dedicated to analyzing the immigration challenge in Europe. Professor Ambrosini, welcome, and thank you uh, for joining us today. Thank you to you for your invitation. Let's start with uh, a first question. How did you get interested in those questions of irregular migration? My background is a background of an economic sociologist. So I started to study uh, immigration from the point of view of uh, the sociology of work, the sociology of economy, so the role of immigrants in the labor market. Uh, I started uh, with this uh, research uh, about 30 years ago, uh, a long time ago, and uh, at that time uh, Italy was becoming uh, an immigration country after having uh, been uh, uh, for a long time an immigration country, sending migrants in uh, all the world, in Europe and uh, in America. Uh, so it was uh, something new, uh, and the people uh, didn't believe at the beginning that migrants uh, were here to work, that they found jobs in the labor market. But the labor market is also the underground economy, especially for people who uh, do not have a permit, visas. Um, regular resident and workers with a labor contract. So since the beginning of my experience in this field, uh, the issue of uh, the participation of uh, irregular migrants uh, in the labor market was a crucial topic. Uh, with time, I developed uh, several aspects of this uh, argument, especially for what regards uh, the participation of women in uh, care work, uh, the role of families, and uh, I crossed uh, other aspects of the participation of migrants and irregular migrants in uh, several sectors of the labor market. Uh, we will uh, elaborate on this issue later, I suppose. So yes, you so you became interested as um, in these issues of migration as uh, Italy was pivoting from a country of immigration to a country of immigration, and you were particularly interested in um, in immigration in the irregular labor market, which is uh, a, a quite important aspect of the of the Italian. Italian economy. But before uh, moving into uh, the economic realities for irregular migrants, let's have uh, some overview on the current state of irregular migration in Europe. So what is irregular migration and uh, what explains uh, this form of migration? It is not clear actually what is exactly irregular immigration and who is an irregular immigrant. Uh, irregularity can regard uh, the access to a country or uh, the residence status. Uh, it can regard entrance or work or papers. So. Uh, it is not uh, very clear often what is exactly uh, the irregular immigration. 
But uh, the first thing that I would like to point out is the fact that most of irregular immigrants enter on a regular way. They arrive as tourists, as students, as asylum seekers, as sports people, as pilgrims also. And then they overstay their allowed period. Also in the United States, two irregular migrants out of three enter the country in a regular way without violating a border. And so uh, as you have started, uh, um, do you have any idea to, to help us um, grasp the magnitude of, the, of this phenomenon? How many irregular migrants uh, are there currently in Europe and in Italy also, more specifically? Uh, I would like to emphasize the fact that irregularity is a continuum rather than a clear-cut situation. Uh, as I said, uh, irregularity can regard several aspects. There are many situations of semi-compliance uh, to the laws, as uh, to British scholars, uh, Roos and Anderson, have uh, called it. To give you an example, a student uh, can be a visa, can, can, can have a regular visa, uh, can be regularly registered at her university. Uh, in general, uh, in several countries, uh, she can also work uh, for, uh, in general, uh, 20 hours in a week. Uh, all this is regular, but if she has two part-times, so she works uh, 20 plus 20 hours in a week, uh, she becomes irregular for what regards compliance with the rules regulating uh, the stay and the work of students. So, Several gray areas can be identified. Uh, to give you a couple of examples, uh, we can uh, uh, speak of a failed asylum seekers enjoying tolerance for some reasons. In Germany, there is a special case, Duldung. Uh, it means more or less tolerance for. Uh, asylum seekers who have not been recognized as such as refugees, but uh, they are not uh, repatriated because, for instance, their country is not safe uh, and uh, they could uh, run risk for their security if they are sent back to their country. Imagine Afghanistan, for instance. Another example. Uh, are people having applied for regularization and uh, they have uh, not a permit, a regular permit, but they have uh, a receipt that they have presented an application for regularization. In Italy, uh, three years ago, in 2020, a regularization was uh, enacted by the government, and there are still people waiting for an answer. So they are here with such a document, a receipt of their application. They are not regular, but they are not completely regular. They are not removed or um, deported because they wait for this answer to their uh, application. So these... Uh, Observation is necessary to introduce uh, the answer to your question about uh, numbers, the magnitude of the uh, phenomenon. Uh, uh, numbers are more clear in the United States. They have more uh, precise uh, figures. And um, uh, numbers for the United States talk of more than two, uh, 10 million of people uh, in an irregular situation. Most of them uh, since many years. Um, 
in Europe, uh, the clandestino project in 2008, it was the major study in this field, and estimated a number of irregular migrants uh, between 1.9 and 3.8 million of people. A decade later, another study, the Pew Research Center study on uh, irregular migrants in Europe, uh, estimated the number between uh, 2.9 and 3.8 million of people in 2017. But this study is also contested for several uh, reasons. So numbers are not very clear for what regards Europe, but we can uh, state that uh, uh, there are uh, uh, between two and three, four million of people in an irregular situation uh, in Europe. Uh, for what regards uh, single countries, uh, the estimate of the Pew Research Center states that about half of these irregular immigrants were presumed to live in Germany, 1 million to 1.2 million of people, and the UK, uh, from uh, uh, 800,000 and uh, 1.2 million of irregular immigrants. So about half of the irregular immigrants uh, sojourning in Europe are concentrated in these two countries. Italy uh, occupies the first place uh, with uh, about uh, uh, 500, uh, 600,000 uh, irregular immigrants. And France uh, holds the fourth uh, place with uh, an estimate of about 300, 400,000 uh, of irregular immigrants. Yeah, so the Thank you. The, the beginning of your answer is, uh, is actually indeed the, the most important because um, it shows that already trying to put a number about this issue is, um, is neglecting the very, the very reality of what it is. That is, what it is is about the limits of states to be able to uh, have all situations fit together in the regulatory frameworks. The states do not manage to have the population follow exactly the rules that have been enacted to be present on the territory or all the rules that have been enacted to be part of the labor market. So the very idea, <laughs> that's important, the very idea that we can put a simple number on irregularity is itself part of the idea that we can clearly uh, also put people into some boxes. That is, we can manage uh, the movement of people and we can manage the economy. And those who do not fit are clearly identifiable and therefore they could be brought back into, uh, into regulation. So I think the, the beginning of the answer is the most important that Irregularities in itself shows the limitations, the difficulty to manage the movement of people uh, by by states. But let's now enter the the, the economic realities for uh, for irregular uh, migrants. You mentioned uh, that uh, most of them are in Germany, followed by the UK. So it's no surprise that these are the power, especially Germany, is the economic engine of Europe, the economic powerhouse of Europe. So it's quite interesting that the irregular migrants are already in that um, uh, major economic uh, power. So in, in which sectors uh, do irregular migrants uh, find work and, and why those sectors? In general, uh, irregular migrants uh, are hired in the informal or underground economy, as I said. And uh, even if uh, it uh, can appear uh, surprising, uh, 
households are probably the largest uh, employers of irregular immigrants. Uh, the family, the home of native people, uh, is the best place uh, to, um, to hide, uh, to be protected from uh, possible controls by the authorities. Uh, it is possible uh, here for people to find uh, an employment, even if irregular, uh, to have an accommodation, uh, to uh, save uh, a good part of their wages, and in this way uh, to be able to send uh, remittances back to their family in the homeland. Uh, so... Irregular immigrants in their majority are women. Many countries, uh, I cite again the United States as a case in point, but it is true also for Southern Europe. It is true probably also for Germany. And uh, the domestic sector and the care sector in families uh, is probably the most important sector of employment for irregular immigrants. Other sectors uh, relevant for what regards both uh, uh, informal economy and employment of irregular immigrants are sectors in, in which the workplace and the activity are loosely defined and the controls are more difficult. I can mention agriculture, building industry, catering, cleaning. In all these sectors, uh, often the workplace uh, has not clear uh, borders. Uh, the work is performed in uh, uh, not conventional uh, times. Catering or cleaning uh, are outside the standard uh, working time. Agriculture is a sector in which uh, fields uh, have not uh, borders. People can enter and can go out easily, escaping uh, possible uh, controls. Uh, in all these sectors, uh, uh, employers uh, uh, are in general um, small employers uh, operating in overcrowded sectors in which competition is very harsh and uh, um, authorities uh, for several reasons uh, do not uh, enforce uh, strict controls because probably they suppose that the presence and the work of irregular immigrants is uh, uh, useful for survival of such sectors and such employers. In turn, these activities are often uh, uh, crucial for uh, the economy of uh, territory, of local communities. I can mention uh, the tourism industry or the agriculture for several uh, territories in uh, southern Europe, but also in other regions of uh, developed countries. Uh, another actor are often co-ethnic employers. Uh, they can play a role hiring their co-ethnics, uh, especially if they are relatives, uh, in um, firms that uh, struggle to stay on the market, to be competitive. They uh, um, compete uh, on prices and to cut prices, uh, to offer uh, clients a service or a product uh, are at a low cost, they try to save on wages and social contributions of their workers. In some cases, especially again in the United States, there are some studies on this. Immigrant employers prefer to hire immigrants coming from a different country, not their coethics because they can exploit them uh, harshly, 
without any regard to some rules of community belonging that can limit exploitation of their coethnics. Other coethnics operate as brokers, putting in connection labor supply and demand. For instance, in Italy, Ukrainian women are often employed as care workers at the service of seniors in families. And they are put in contact with possible employers by other Ukrainian women who play the role of brokers and take profit from this activity of connection between uh, newcomers and possible employers. They have also different prices, according to a study, um, in relation to the quality of the job. If uh, the job is in a family with a single baby to care, uh, the work is uh, less heavy and the price is higher. If the, the employment regards uh, an old person with an Alzheimer's disease, uh, the work is heavier and the price is lower. So, uh, clearly, uh, insertion into the labor market is often uh, crucial for irregular immigrants, and uh, both the role of employers and the role of brokers are very relevant for what regards uh, uh, the possibility of uh, uh, employment of irregular immigrants. Uh, yeah, thank you. So yeah, we, we, we come back to, to what we are saying at the beginning, that is irregular migration is defined by the difficulty for states uh, to control migration. And in your last answer here, we, we could see it very clearly. Uh, there are limits to what states can do in their control. So this can be almost political limits uh, when you refer to households in the sense that uh, due to constitutional um, provisions, there are limits to um, that control authorities cannot infringe and it has to do with the home of people. So people can have immigrants at home and authorities may not be entitled to, to, to come uh, easily to, to check within the house of people. There are other types of limits that are not related to constitutional or political uh, aspects, but are, have more to do with the economic realities themselves that you mentioned. And especially in agriculture, I suppose, uh, or for um, the care of uh, elderly people. That is, those, these are sectors that are crucially dependent on this kind of workforce and that could collapse with possibly uh, damaging consequences for the rest of, of, of societies that states want to prevent. Here, states are taken in, in a contradiction. So, uh, Maybe to, to, to continue a bit on, on this point, you mentioned the notion of exploitation. Uh, how, um, how, do you, uh, how does exploitation work in practice? Um, is it because, how do you define exploitation? And is it because migrants lack alternatives precisely because they are irregulars and need to hide and someone is able to benefit from this situation? So how does exploitation work in the labor market? Um, first of all, uh, I have to underline the fact that for an irregular migrant, it is better to be exploited uh, than not to be exploited at all. Uh, survival uh, for most of them depends uh, on the possibility to work and uh, to earn a salary. Uh, so a person who offers a job, even if underpaid in comparison with a, a regular contract, can be seen as a benefactor. Right? Uh, it is especially true when uh, 
co-ethnic employers uh, play this role of offering them uh, an employment, but it is true in general. Uh, most irregular migrants uh, are uh, show gratitude uh, to employers uh, who hire them in violation of uh, rules and laws uh, because the alternative for them uh, is uh, hunger, is uh, uh, the risk to, to be uh, expelled or uh, even worse, uh, to take the road to their homeland uh, with uh, any money as uh, people who have failed in their uh, migrant venture. So exploitation is uh, this uh, type of um, employment of people in violation of rules regarding uh, wages, social contributions, uh, uh, schedules, uh, holidays, uh, and uh, uh, other uh, rights uh, that uh, workers have acquired uh, with many difficulties and hard struggles in uh, more than a century of uh, uh, modern uh, labor uh, laws. Uh, the economy uh, sometimes uh, tries to come back to old ways of uh, managing labor. And in some sectors, as you recalled, um, violation of laws is a condition or to be competitive or even to survive. Uh, I can mention agriculture in some uh, areas in which um, Employers are uh, uh, small uh, farm owners uh, without uh, the possibility to invest in modern technologies, without uh, enough uh, uh, ground uh, to be competitive. And uh, hiring uh, irregular immigrants is a way to offer products uh, that can be competitive with uh, products coming from abroad or produced by uh, larger producers. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. So again, we, we, we find the, the same idea that um, irregular migration is uh, testified of the incapacity of states to plan. Uh, the economy. That is, uh, those laws are supposed to make the welfare of people, but as you said, it's precisely by violating those laws that people can find their welfare uh, and succeed in their uh, migration uh, adventure. And likewise, uh, those laws are supposed to ensure a smooth economic uh, development, but some economic sectors depend on the violation of the laws. So, um, with the question of irregularity, we are confronting with the difficulty of planning uh, the economy and economic uh, welfare. So um, thank you very much for, for this economic aspect of, of, um, of the irregular experience. Let's move on now with the, the living conditions of of those uh, migrants you you presented them as having to hide um, uh, presenting the the risk of being expelled from the country um, so first question um, how do they find accommodation so you have already mentioned the case in which they are hosted by their employers when these are households uh, so I suppose they live in a room, in a, in a house, uh, separate. And um, and for the others as well, the, the question is, how do they find accommodation? The first place uh, for accommodation are uh, native households, as I said, and as you recalled. And uh, families provide accommodation for women, immigrant women, um, sometimes also men, 
who take care of their seniors today, especially, and in some cases also they take care of children or of the home uh, itself. Um, a second uh, opportunity are uh, co-ethnics, again, also for what regards accommodation. Uh, clearly, here there is a difference between relatives who are hosted with uh, more uh, sympathy and for free, often. Uh, even if this type of uh, hospitality involves a long-term dependence. So people remain uh, linked and dependent on their relatives who have hosted them for a period when they were irregular country. In other cases, again, coethnics can exploit the need of migrants for an accommodation. I remember uh, in, when I uh, was professor in Genoa, in Italy, in a time in which uh, suddenly, in a short period, many uh, people arrived from some Latin American countries, especially Ecuador and Peru. They were hosted especially by the few uh, people of the same uh, origin who could uh, enjoy a regular status uh, permit and could rent out, rent a flat. They hosted their uh, co-ethnics uh, under payment and for uh, a bed uh, they had to pay a relatively high amount of money because they had no alternative. Sometimes people uh, slept in the same bed, one during the day and another during the night because of the shift work they performed. As uh, 100 years ago, it happened to uh, the Italians and other em emigrants in the United States. Uh, another opportunity uh, for uh, some people are um, shelters or uh, public dormitories in countries and cities who have some tolerance towards irregular immigrants, uh, do not want to have homeless uh, in the city center, and they prefer to organize shelters for uh, homeless immigrants, even if irregular, than uh, to have them uh, sleeping outside in a park or under the arcades of the center. And uh, uh, last. Uh, possible solution are um, um, squatted buildings. In uh, some countries, uh, social movements uh, organize shelters for uh, migrants in squatted buildings. And uh, in this case, uh, they have uh, organized what some researchers uh, have uh, called a welfare from below. So, because uh, people could not find uh, another solution, they could find uh, an accommodation through uh, social, local social movements. Athens is a case in Europe quite known of this activism by uh, radical movements uh, hosting uh, migrants uh, and also irregular migrants, of course, in squatted buildings in uh, a city like Athens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, with you, of course, we we, we are in Italy and uh, what was missing in the list you, you gave, uh, to my surprise, is uh, the church. So you suggest the church doesn't play or religious uh, communities do not play much role in helping migrants uh, find accommodation? Uh, not so much, because uh, accommodation is a very uh, expensive and uh, uh, also difficult to organize uh, solution for people. So uh, 
the church, in the Catholic Church, and also the Protestant minority, are very active in helping people to find an employment, for instance, in families typical role played by religious sectors. They help to regularize their status uh, with uh, paperwork. Uh, they give uh, food, it's easier. They give uh, health care. In my city, Milan, there are hundreds of medical doctors who work as volunteers in several clinics uh, for irregular immigrants. Um, most of them are hosted in religious uh, institutions. Uh, so on this aspect, uh, yes, religious actors are very active. Accommodation is more complicated and it is uh, more frequent that uh, religious sectors give an accommodation to families, for instance, to people who have uh, a person who has an employment and can uh, pay a minimum uh, rent. Um, so they provide a low-cost accommodation for people with regular papers and with a family, with children, with special needs. Uh, irregular immigrants uh, who have not uh, a permit, have not uh, um, a, a regular uh, contract, a stable salary, are more difficult to accommodate also for religious sectors. Yeah. So uh, again, you you ma you mentioned the case of uh, the Scoetnik who, who, who exploit other other migrants sometimes, and uh, here it was it was clear in what you were saying that is it's um, the status that the the regular status they manage to have then gives them leverage to uh, to require high rents from those who are irregular. So the regular are in position to exploit the irregular. And uh, uh, as you also entered into, into more details, um, um, mentioning, uh, uh, of course, uh, households, but also some uh, communities, municipalities that are uh, more lenient on, um, on irregular immigration, it clearly appears that whoever would like to curb uh, this phenomenon uh, would like to uh, have an apparatus of coercion that is extremely big. That is, you would have to control communities, all uh, municipalities, uh, some some associations of volunteer squatters, and also to some extent the, the churches. So uh, to break down the um, irregular immigration would require I think it appears clearly uh, from this situation uh, a very big apparatus of of, uh, of coercion over over society. But let's uh, stay within the living conditions of immigrants. We have mentioned the, the accommodation, and as they have to hide, uh, especially from the police, uh, how do those uh, people ensure their physical safety? There was a case of a, a, a migrant in New York who was uh, witnessing um, a, a small crime, and she went to testify to the police. And because she was irregular, she was brought back to to, to the border, whereas she was trying to help the police find out a criminal. So when those people are themselves victims of violence, or I suppose it's very hard for them to to go to the police. So how do they ensure their physical safety? Uh, probably the case of the United States is different from Europe from this point of view. Uh, so uh, dangers of uh, the urban life, uh, the violence in cities uh, is a much bigger problem in the United States than uh, in Europe. In the United States, violence is the first reason of death for a young man, also 
belonging to local minorities in the black population, for instance. In Europe, um, we can say that uh, relatives are in general safer. Uh, so the first uh, resource is the possibility to be hosted by relatives. Even in case of exploitation, again, it is better to be exploited than to live uh, as homeless in, in a city. Uh, second, uh, domestic uh, workers uh, are protected by uh, local families. And again, uh, their uh, working condition is uh, connected to some uh, possibilities of accommodation and protection from violence or abuse. Even if uh, there are also cases in which uh, the domestic setting is a place in which uh, sexual harassment and uh, also violence uh, is possible. So for most of them, it, it is a safe harbor, but not always and uh, for all, especially for what regards women. Um, uh, so irregular immigrants uh, are dependent uh, on uh, the connection and the networks uh, that they have. If they have good connections with their ethnic communities, they can uh, achieve uh, a relative safe accommodation. If they have good connections with Italian employers, they can obtain uh, a safe accommodation. They are at risk when they do not have a social network and a stable accommodation. So people living uh, as homeless, and they, uh, there are among uh, irregular immigrants, or people living in uh, shelters, in dormitories, can face uh, higher uh, risks for their safety. Thank you for this. Um these um, details. So we have seen the the, the economic realities of migrants um, find jobs, uh, earn a living. We have seen the the uh, living conditions with accumulate, uh, accommodation, um, safety. So uh, safety is both uh, the risk of urban life, as you mentioned, but also some uh, sexual aggression. Which can be quite pernicious for uh, for irregular irregular migrants, especially as they are still in um, in households. So uh, let's move on. Let's move on now. After having uh, seen the 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 economic and uh, living condition aspects, about the role of immigration policies and policies related to immigrants in general. So we, we had uh, Evan Crowley in the, in the previous episode of, uh, of this series, uh, who was working on the migration flows to, to Europe. And uh, in a report, uh, she concluded that uh, the, the, big, the authorities often say that they want to break the business of smugglers, pass people across the sea. And they concluded with, uh, with a report that actually policies uh, drive the business of smugglers rather than break it down. That is, the business of smugglers is dependent on restrictive uh, policies. So here, about irregular uh, immigration, to what extent do you think that immigration policies contribute to uh, this phenomenon? Um, immigration policies uh, uh, foster irregular immigration in two ways. Uh, first of all, uh, closing borders and uh, making more difficult a regular entrance and stay. Um, I can add uh, that uh, laws are often complicated and contradictory. For instance, what regards family reunifications. In Spain, some years ago, uh, in, uh, in an amnesty, they discovered that uh, most uh, family reunifications occurred out of the legal frame. 
because it was too complicated to reunite uh, the spouse uh, with a regular procedure. Uh, the, the other way in which a regular, in which um, immigration policies uh, foster irregular immigration is uh, paradoxically the low efficiency of uh, the apparatus of controls, detention, and removal. Uh, also, also Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, repeatedly uh, denounced the fact uh, that uh, removals in the European Union uh, are um, inefficient, are uh, very costly, expensive, and uh, for many reasons they uh, do not occur uh, less than half of people who received an order of removal. Uh, are actually repatriated. Uh, this occurs for uh, many reasons. Uh, lack of agreement with the countries of origin. Uh, the fact that people uh, manage to uh, conceal their identity. They arrive also to erase, to erase their fingerprints, not to be identified. Uh, or um, uh, they can uh, art themselves not to be repatriated. In this case, uh, liberal values uh, enshrined in uh, European constitutions uh, hinder the efficiency of uh, deportation. But another reason is much more mundane. Deportations are expensive. Imagine uh, to deport people to China, to Latin America, uh, from Europe, by plane, with uh, officials uh, who have to uh, monitor uh, the people to remove. Uh, so, uh, if you think that uh, in Europe uh, there are at least 2 million of irregular immigrants, Imagine the cost of uh, detention first, identification, and uh, removal of these people. So, in general, states uh, tend to use uh, detention or deportation uh, as a threat to deter people. Uh, is a way of deterrence to show that they can. Uh, remove people. In this way, they think uh, to influence people uh, in a way that uh, they will not enter or they will not remain uh, or they will remain uh, hidden, not creating uh, uh, anxiety in the society or they will try to cross a border to go to another state. Uh, deportations are uh, uh, inefficient, expensive, and they are used mainly as a symbolic message to deter people or to push people to go uh, in, to another territory. So uh, again, as, as, um, the difficulty for states to have effective, efficient um, procedures to manage migration flows is clear. That is, they do not manage to create a, 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 a template that migrants in which migrants will easily enter. And so some of them go around the, the official framework in order to, to, to have things um, more simple for their particular situation. And also, uh, it turns out to be extremely costly for states to, to implement their own, their own policies uh, when, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, to, to those issues. So, uh, do you think that um, 
and here we will enter into the the role of intellectuals into into this debate. Uh, do you think that it's possible for states uh, to control the movement of people so that nobody is out of the framework and becomes irregular? If it's possible, what would you suggest? But uh, there are. Uh at least two things that are possible. The first is to better uh, regulate uh, the circulation of people, uh, mobility of people, not only uh, coming from uh, developed countries, but also coming from other countries. Uh, not forget that, uh, for instance, the European Union has established the free movement. Uh, inside its borders. And uh, 20 years ago, citizens uh, coming from uh, Romania or Bulgaria or also Poland uh, uh, could be irregular immigrants, uh, could be detained and uh, uh, removed. But uh, uh, since uh, some years, they enjoy uh, a, a right of free circulation. Uh, so the global compact uh, on uh, uh, ordered, uh, safe and regular migration can be a resource to establish a possibility of uh, regular migration uh, much uh, larger than it is possible now. Uh, now students or health workers, uh, medical doctors, investors can circulate quite easily. There is also recently a new demand for immigrant workers in several countries. So some possibilities are open and can be more opened in the future. The other strategy regards regularization of people who are here who have not been deported, have often found an employment. And uh, here, actually, uh, several governments uh, in Europe uh, um, regularize people. Uh, regularization can follow two different uh, patterns. Uh, one pattern are regularization programs, such as Italian amnesties. 1834 years. Most adults uh, have been regularized after a period uh, they spent as irregular immigrants in my country. The other strategy are regularization mechanisms. Case by case, on an individual basis, uh, with much discretion, uh, people who are on the territory since uh, some years who have uh, found uh, an employment, who have not a criminal record, uh, or they have uh, people who have established uh, some kind of uh, familial uh, links can be regularized. And uh, governments uh, can do it. Uh, they actually do it in France, in Spain, in other ways, in Germany, with Duldung and the possibility to uh, obtain a, a regular visa as the workers. Uh, so the, this opportunity uh, uh, already exists and can be improved. Uh, it could be more reasonable than uh, leave people uh, in the condition of uh, irregularity for several years. Without having the capacity to remove them. In some cases, a voluntary repatriation can be also a solution for people who are sick, for instance, who have mental disease after years of irregularity, who are failed asylum seekers. So, several solutions can be enacted. Uh, without uh, using uh, deportations that are uh, a very harsh uh, answer, often applied without uh, a clear strategy for people 
who are not uh, criminals, who are not responsible of any wrongdoing, but also the fact of being uh, on a territory without a permit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's um, it's interesting that um, you mentioned primarily, um, I mean, you mentioned first uh, the regime of, uh, of free movement inside, uh, inside Europe, and I use this, this opportunity to to promote my my own book, which is uh, the history of this uh, of this European uh, regime of free movement. Uh, you are, I studied the negotiations that led to free movement uh, starting in 1947 to the Treaty of Maastricht, and so uh, it's interesting you, you you refer to that that is free movement is a way for state to to try to keep control because. Actually, if they want to implement too harsh measures, they, they, they tend to lose control. And you also mentioned regularization, which is a more, uh, which is in the same vein, huh? actually trying to adapt. The state has to adapt to social realities rather than trying to adapt social realities to the state. And um, but it seems to me that uh, policymakers, or maybe it's the rhetoric. Generally, don't uh, don't do that. So I could take two examples. Uh, one precisely from the negotiations I have I have studied. It was not really the the case that policymakers in Europe within Europe turned to freedom of movement because they were trying to reassert control. And you have that also in the case of the UK and Brexit. That is. There was this notion take back control, and and your previous answer was extremely interesting and counterintuitive. That is to really take back control for movement is much better. But Brexiters in the UK, uh, when they wanted to take back control, they suggested harsher policies, precisely exiting the free movement of people. So here we we, we come to to uh, the lack of expertise, the lack of knowledge of. Of, uh, of policymakers. Do you think that uh, in politics, but also beyond that in society, there is a demand for expertise like uh, that you have, what you have mentioned on the questions that you have mentioned? Is there other groups, uh, public institutions, communities, even in the private sector who uh, would like to have more knowledge and more expertise on those questions. I'm not optimistic about this. Uh, I think that the issue is uh, too politicized. Uh, the public opinion is very polarized. The political system uh, is uh, uh, very worried from one side and uh, from uh, the other side, the tent to exploit anxiety and fears by people, by the electors, uh, to uh, achieve uh, more votes, uh, threatening uh, harsher policies on immigration. Yesterday in Finland, the parties of uh, right or center-right won the elections uh, and the uh, also in this country, as in Sweden, uh, immigration issues and uh, uh, the demand of um, harsher policies against uh, immigrants and refugees were a key element of uh, the political supply of these parties. So, uh, political parties and governments uh, do not seem to demand more knowledge, more expertise uh, about immigration. They even uh, do not uh, look at uh, actual figures. They prefer uh, to foster an, uh, uh, an image of a Europe under threat, a Europe under invasion, even if uh, figures uh, do not go in this direction. Uh, only uh, less than percent of refugees in the world are hosted in Europe. Eurostat uh, clearly stated this. But uh, the electors and the governments uh, 
or they believe the opposite or they foster uh, the image that Europe is under a, a huge pressure by asylum seekers coming from the south of the world. So the demand for a better knowledge, I think, is uh, um, underestimated and it is overcome by anxiety from one side and the will to exploit the issue for political reasons on the other side. Yeah, very interesting. And so this applies to political institutions. And uh, what about the private sector? You mentioned repeatedly that those who are irregular immigrants are general, are of course, sectors in which controls are difficult, but there are also controls that are facing very harsh competition and are uh, need are are threatening their very survival. So I am thinking that this situation doesn't only apply to small-scale agriculture or households. Uh, we we live in a, in a world in which uh, wealth is moving east. Uh, Asia is emerging as a major uh, economic center for the world, and Europe is has some difficulty to 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 um, to compete with Asia and with China in particular. So I would support that you may have economy, uh, private actors who would have a vested interest in having more uh, more uh, more immigration, which would allow them to remain competitive globally. And those actors could be those who would be receptive to uh, to this kind of expertise. And precisely then to 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 beef up the arguments towards towards their respective states' governments. Do you do you think there is this uh, this demand, or it's gone? It's it's it no longer exists as it could exist in the past. I think that economy is uh, crucial for uh, well-being of immigrants and uh, well-being of the society as a whole. But clearly, economy has to be regulated to produce uh, well-being for uh, all people involved. Uh, actually, in uh, several countries, uh, employers uh, are demanding a more regular immigration. Uh, also, uh, industrial sectors and the employers are not all the same. They are uh, deeply different. And even if uh, the weaker employers would take profit from an irregular immigration, the most uh, well-organized employers and activities can prefer a regular immigration. Regular immigration is also a way to avoid competition on wages, labor costs, and uh, to in, uh, to compete on other grounds, innovation, uh, uh, capacity to introduce uh, new products and uh, new ways of uh, uh, producing. Uh, so I think uh, that uh, the, um, the best part of the economics sector can be an ally uh, to push governments towards a more ordered and safe and regular immigration, citing again the global compact. Uh, if you look at the experience of the United States, uh, it was uh, the market, the main driver of the integration of immigrants. In Europe, uh, this has occurred, but with less uh, uh, success than in the United States for the white immigration coming from Europe in the past. But I think that uh, the economic system is uh, a crucial partner for uh, the success of uh, integration policies and also to regularize uh, immigrants and to favor a, a regulated immigration.
So yeah, I think it's uh, it's time to 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 conclude on 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 this note. It was it was a fascinating uh, episode. Uh, we started with uh, uh, with um, considering that trying to put a number on irregular immigration is already completely missing the picture of what irregular immigration is. It's the limits of the control. And putting a number is, you can put a number on what you have control. And irregular immigration is all about the limits of control. And it's a difficulty to, to put a number of it. So uh, irregular immigrants find job in a household, small-scale agricultures, in places where uh, controls are difficult, they can play a vital role for the survival of certain economic sectors or for the care for the uh, older people. They tend to live uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, with relatives, uh, with co-ethnics, uh, sometimes associations, community, local communities help them to, uh, to, to find accommodation. And you came up with uh, the counterintuitive idea from the point of view of political debate that actually the, one of the best ways to, to keep control of immigration could be to have less harsh policies and move towards more free movements. This would help the state to adapt to the social realities rather than trying to adapt social realities to the state, which doesn't work. But the, the, this is not... Uh, the trend currently in political debate, even though you mentioned the role that economic actors could play in this uh, in this situation, do you want, uh, Professor Ambrosini, do you want to end with uh, a final note this uh, this conversation? But I, I think that uh, we have to to think to regular migration as uh, a transit condition. Uh, a mistake is to imagine uh, the irregular immigration as a world apart, uh, as uh, a world of uh, crime, of destitution, uh, of danger for security. Uh, most people imagine that irregular immigrants are uh, uh, almost criminals, are uh, people uh, hidden uh, in, uh, in the shadows. But in reality, actually, regular immigration is much more embedded in the society than it is commonly believed. And it is a condition of passage for many people who arrive as tourists, most of them, or as students, so in regular ways. Then they spend a period as irregular immigrants, but at the end, they manage to find a permit, a possibility to, to live and work a, a normal life. So we have to overcome a, a vision of irregular immigrants that is produced by anxiety and fear. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your time and insights, uh, Professor Ambrosini. Uh, I invite uh, our listeners and um, uh, people who watch us to, to share their feedback uh, or question with us in, in, uh, in the comments. And uh, to stay tuned um, for our next episode in the series on the uh, immigration uh, challenge in Europe. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Ambrosini, again. Thank you to you for uh, having invited me. Bye.